El extraordinario. Extraordinario. Okay, let's see. Play it again. What they say. It's like a modern day miracle, right? There are several versions of the story, though. Some people say Ursula didn't actually sing, but rather used a sort of um, carillon to heal her. A carillon? Yes, uh, you know, those little boxes that have a melody inside. When you open them, they, they make a sound. A music box? That's right, a music box. He calls it a carillon. You're the one saying it's a music box. Oh, come on. He says you can hear music when you open it. So it's a music box. Okay, that may be the case, but that's not how this box works. No, it's not. Did you watch the video I sent you? No, I haven't got around to it yet. Just a sec. Here it is. So, this part right here is what's making the sound, and the first thing we want to do is remove the whole section. You have to be careful when you separate this part, because if you look closely, it is attached to the wood by this hook. Wow, the mechanism's really complex. I mean, it's clearly not a music box. I know. I've watched the video three times and I still don't understand okay. how it works. I guess you fiddle with the pegs to tune each of the notes. And then what? Do you play the notes? No, I'm guessing you tweak the pegs to line up the notes and then the box plays a sequence? Oh, I see. I, I mean, I don't really get it. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. I know. I think he invented the system, but it didn't really go anywhere. Here it says, bloom box. Yeah, that's what they call it, apparently. So there's just this one? Is it the box you saw in that photo? No, it's a different one. Because this one doesn't have that inscription I mentioned. That guy I spoke to said there were several of these boxes. When I discovered that first photo of Victor Bloom, I googled it to see what I could find. There's a lot of information about him. He moved to the US around the time Ursa was sent to the psychiatric hospital and he had a successful career as a civil engineer. According to the articles I read, he was a big deal in the field of dam construction, but they didn't say anything about music or art. There was nothing I could use to link him back to his cousin. However, when I saw the second photo, I tried Googling Victor Bloom music box, and that led me to this whole other side of his career as an engineer, when he worked in Vallée de Joux before he relocated to the US. The video David is watching was posted by Christian Mueller, a Swiss restorer who records tutorials on YouTube about how things work. I reached out to him the minute I found the video to see if he could tell me more about the box. I'm gonna jump to the bit where he plays the box, okay? I don't really get how it works anyway. Okay, go all the way to the end. So we use these little tuning bags to choose the notes we want to play. Then we turn the crank. And then we wait. Jesus, that's creepy. <laughs> right? And you can only use, what is it, about 20 notes? 24. You can't even adjust the speed or anything? I don't think so. So, what's the point of this machine? I have no clue. I mean, you can make a music box to play a specific melody, or you can build an instrument that sounds like this, but then you'd need to play the notes yourself. And if you wanted to use something automated, you'd go for those organettes, right? That are kind of like this box, but they use rolls of perforated paper. Who knows? Maybe the sound wasn't supposed to be pleasant. We don't know what it was for. 
I guess. Do you think that man from the museum in Lugano was talking about this box? Possibly. Ursula Bloom might have used it as part of that music therapy of hers. Maybe her cousin believed in it too. But you can't use this type of box to play the melody on the score. You can't? No, it would have to be a lot simpler. Oh, right. What else did the restorer tell you? He said Victor Bloom built several of these boxes and that they're collector's items. He says they don't make a whole lot of sense as musical instruments, but that the mechanism inside them is amazing. And that's what makes them so special. Is that box his? No, he just restored it for someone else who gave him permission to use it in the video. He put me in touch with several collectors and another restorer called... Um... John Lewis. Is he English? Yeah, but he's been working in Switzerland for a couple of years. He also restored a bloom box, so I thought it would be a good idea to interview him. Well, you're meeting loads of people. <laughs> I know. If I keep this up, I'm going to speak to half the country before I leave. I'm at Museum Tingley in Basel. John Lewis, the restorer I'm going to interview, works here. This place must be heaven on earth if you're into art and machines, because the ones I'm seeing around me are huge. You could get lost in one of them. I mean, you can literally go inside it and walk around while it's running. John Tingley was a Swiss painter and sculptor who was best known for his kinetic artworks made with found objects. Some of his machines look like they've been plucked out of a comic strip. That's how bizarre they are. It must be fun to work in this kind of place. Yes. I consider myself very lucky. Let's go into this room. I think it'll be quieter. Yeah, okay. We walk away from the music machines and into another room where there's a mechanical arm holding a pen and drawing on a piece of paper. So, did you restore the bloom box a long time ago? No, it was a little less than a year ago. I got a call from a collector who'd bought it recently. It had been stored in a damp place and it was a bit worse for wear. And do you have any idea how many boxes there are? No, I can't give you an exact number, but I don't think there are more than 10 or 12. I think they're just prototypes. Prototypes? You mean they were building these as mock-ups before they manufactured the real thing? Yes, I've seen several boxes, and even though they all use the same mechanism, there are slight differences in the size of the box, the type of wood. So they don't sound the same? Exactly. The sound is similar, but not identical. Nobody knows what Victor Bloom wanted to do with these boxes. I think my friend Christian mentioned the most interesting thing about them is the mechanism itself. Yeah, so he said. But I think he wanted to create very precise resonances. And that's what made him try all these different types of wood and configurations. So you think he was interested in the sound more than in the music? Yes. Well, I'd say he wanted to play a distinct series of notes with very specific resonance. So, do different types of wood actually sound all that different? Sorry if I'm asking something really obvious. No, don't worry. The sound they make is actually very different. Take a Stradivarius, for instance. Wait, I think you're gonna have to walk me through the Stradivarius situation because all I know is that they're violins. Sure, no worries, sorry. Okay, so Stradivarius violins were made in Antonio Stradivari's workshop between the 17th and 18th centuries. And to this day, nobody has been able to create violins with the same sound. Are you kidding me? Honestly, they, they haven't been able to do it. They tried to replicate the sound, but researchers don't know exactly what gave them those specific acoustics. I mean, there are several theories. One says that Stradivari applied a special coating, but he never wrote down the process. 
Other people say it's the wood. But I guess you could source the same wood. No, because back then, the Northern Hemisphere was hit by a phenomenon known as the Little Ice Age that made trees grow slower, and that affected the composition of the wood. Really? Well, that's one of the theories. Other people say they don't really sound any different from other violins with similar characteristics. They claim that the research is biased, and that your subjectivity is impacted just from knowing it's a Stradivarius. But why can't researchers agree on the facts? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, we think scientists have everything under control, but they clearly don't. I like to think about that a lot. There are people building, I don't know, quantum computers, and we still don't know the secret behind the sound of a Stradivarius violin. But that's why I love my job, because it constantly reminds me that the world is still full of mystery. John didn't ask me why I'm researching Ursula Boom, and I hadn't planned to tell him much about her. But when he expressed his fascination with the mysteries of life, I thought it was only fair I let him in on the mystery that's taken over my life, especially considering he'd granted me this interview. So, as we walked through the museum gardens, I told him everything I've learned about Ursula Bloom, her score, and the Votes This Day Society. It's weird because, even though it all sounds rather far-fetched, the fact that we're surrounded by Tingley's bizarre sculptures makes it sound less crazy. It's as if the objects that surround us make it possible to travel to another dimension. You've just made my day with that story. <laughs> Have I? Yes, when you restore a piece made by an artist from another century, especially something as rare as a bloom box, you try to get inside that person's head. And after hearing this, everything makes more sense. So do you think that's what they wanted to do with the box? Were they trying to replicate the effect of that magic chant? Hmm. <laughs> you know, I'd wager my money on it. I'm almost certain that was what they were trying to do. And I understand something else now, too. You can't see it in the video Christian posted, but both the box that he restored and the one I restored had a symbol painted on them. Wait, what symbol? It's kind of like a seal with a cross and the silhouette of a bird flapping its wings. It's painted in blue on the wood, very simple outline that's almost worn off. We thought that maybe Victor Bloom was very religious, but to be honest, that specific bird symbol is kind of weird. Could it be the emblem of that cult? Neither Christian nor I had ever seen it before. I have seen it before. I can conjure the image up in great detail. It's like an engraving, but I can't for the life of me remember where I saw it. I'm certain the historian in St. Gallen wasn't the one who told me about it. For a couple of seconds, I think I'm having a false memory, like a hallucination, until I suddenly remember the sepia-colored paper the dark room. Wait, let me bring up a photo on my phone. It's a photo of a photo. Uh... Look, here it is, in this decorative border. I'm showing him the photo of the group of men I saw at the museum in winter tour. One of them is probably Ursula's uncle. The photo has a border drawn around it with lots of decorations. And in the center, there's a symbol of a cross and a bird. That's definitely it. And what does this word mean? It says St. Gallen after it, but I don't know what this says. Gesangsverein means choral society, choral society of St. Gallen. Okay, 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 let's build a hypothesis then. Christina texted me this morning because she wanted to tell me about something she'd read. So I said we could hang out for a while since I was coming to Basel to interview John. Right now, we're having a snack on a boat as we sail along the Rhine, the river that runs through the city. 
Christina says it would be a crime to be in the city and not visit the exact point of the border where you can see Switzerland, France, and Germany. I feel like a tiny microbe traveling through the heart of Europe. It's not too cold, so we decide to sit out on the deck. I'm surprised at Christina's attitude. The other day, she seemed kind of into Ursula Bloom's story, but now that I've brought her up to date with my latest findings, she seems almost as invested in this as I am. Okay, so we know for sure that Ursula Bloom knew about the special news used by the monks of the Bosses Day Society. Yes, that is a fact. Cool, so let's just say the society existed in secret until it became the Choral Society of St. Gallen, and Ursula's uncle was a member. Well, we can't prove that. I mean, we don't know that the Choral Society was a secret society. Yeah, I know. That's why this is called a hypothesis. Now, let's say Ursula's uncle and Ursula herself believe she was one of those women who could hear supernatural melodies. Okay, that could fit in with the story. So, they keep doing their stuff in secret until Ursula becomes a bohemian artist, meets Paul Klee and joins the Blue Rider group, who also happen to have bizarre theories about music and believe it can be used to transform humanity. Yeah, and her cousin is also around. Exactly. Her cousin, who's probably also a member of the secret society, makes these boxes that recreate the effect of the voices. You know, that kind of thing was really popular in Switzerland back then. They were all about finding ways to design and industrialize different processes. It could be, I guess. Then World War I breaks out, and Ursula starts helping out as a nurse and starts using this experimental therapy with the soldiers. Right. And then she uses it with a girl in Morcote in Lugano. Or so they say. Next thing she knows, her family, or possibly her uncle, sends her to the psychiatric hospital, and that's the end of that. No more music therapies. Then her cousin takes off to America to build dams or whatever, and he never does anything related to music ever again. Or so it seems. That's it! Oh, that's it! They locked her away like a little bird in a cage until she couldn't take it any longer and she threw herself out of the window. I'm not saying I'm buying the magic chance thing, but they probably did and they locked her up as soon as she started to go public with them. Well, there are several things in that hypothesis that we don't know first. Let me tell you what I found out. Sure, go ahead. I couldn't stop thinking about those pages that had been cut out of the notebook you showed me. So. I looked into who's in charge of the exhibition. Okay. Turns out when the building was a psychiatric hospital, it was owned by a textile company from St. Gallen. A textile company? The one owned by Ursula's Mm -hmm. family? No. Funnily enough, it was owned by the other important family in St. Gallen, the Widmers. What was the textile company doing running a psychiatric hospital in Geneva? Who knows? But it makes sense because that company is now a major pharmaceutical corporation and... Who's it from? What's with the face? It's from the historian from St. Gallen. I texted him earlier to ask him about the symbol of the society. Come on, read it already. No, no, I'll read it in a minute. First, finish what you're telling me. Okay, okay. Well, that company, Widmer, hired Ursula's uncle to run the hospital. I don't know if you've looked into that? Yeah. I know there were several complaints about him. Mm -hmm, That's right. I went through the newspaper archives and I found several articles on the subject and... They don't say exactly what happened to the patients, but it looks like nobody came out feeling better than when they arrived. Yeah. Shortly after Ursula's suicide, the hospital closed down. Years later, Widmer allowed the building to be used as a cultural center, and I figure that's when someone was going through the inventory and discovered Ursula Bloom's stuff and thought it would be a good idea to showcase it in the little exhibition. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Well, according to the creator's records, Widmer, the company that still owned the building, 
swept in and took control of the exhibition. But why? It's really weird. Why would a big pharma corporation want to have anything to do with that tiny exhibition? Especially since they'd handed over the day-to-day -day operations of this space to someone else. It is weird. Well, that's all I've got. Now, read the message already. Okay. What does it say? He says he's never actually seen the symbol, but he has read about it in documents that mention this secret society. He says the monks use a cross and a bird as their emblem. After saying goodbye to Christina, we arrange for her to search the online archives of the National Library to see if she can find any information about the Coral Society of St. Gallen. I would love to be the one doing it, but I don't speak a word of German, and Christina seems happy to help. Anyway, I've just arrived in Bern. It's my final destination for today. The shop is on Kramgasse, one of the main shopping streets in Bern. Although at first glance, it would be hard to notice. It's a long street in the old city, full of Baroque facades and bookended by the city's clock tower. The same astronomical clock that inspired Albert Einstein's theory of relativity. I look up as I walk underneath the clock tower. It has a large gilded clock face, and beneath it there's a red astrolabe with another sphere featuring the constellations. It's like a giant toy that's been put in the middle of the city. The rest of the street matches the clock, because it's full of fountains with stone statues in bold colors. I feel like I've traveled to a different moment in history. The stores don't even feel contemporary. Most are hidden under porticos on both sides of the street. Others are located at basement level, and you have to walk down to enter from the street. The shop I'm here to visit is one of the basement stores, but it's closed when I arrive. Hello? Are you still open? It's 3 p.m. I can't see the opening hours anywhere, but there's a phone number. I call the number, but it goes straight to voicemail. Luckily, I've thought of a plan B, so the trip here isn't a complete waste of time. The only place on Clara's Instagram that I haven't visited yet is the Zentrum Paul Clay, the museum dedicated to the famous Swiss painter that Ursula befriended. The museum is here in Bern, so I decided to go visit. My name is Emma Clark, and you can reach me at this number. Thank you. The museum closes at 5, but I get on a bus outside the antique shop and make it here on time. The receptionist said there isn't a permanent collection as such. They organize shows by Paul Clay and also by other artists. The one they have on at the moment showcases his drawings. I walk around it and, although it's interesting, it doesn't add anything to my research. I don't know what I was expecting to find, but I think it might have been a bit pointless to come here. As I walk out of the room, I go back to the photo that Clara posted on Instagram. It's one of the few photos she's in. I notice her expression. It's a little different than in the other photos. She looks... satisfied? I don't know. Behind her, I can see the museum building, which is spectacular. Designed by Renzo Piano, it's an undulating construction consisting of three main sections that resemble three waves that rise from the ground. Clara and I saw the same thing from the outside, but I wonder what was on show when she visited. Hi again. 
Uh, can I ask you something? Sure. How can I help you? Is there somewhere I can find information about past exhibitions here? Oh, sure. Are you looking for a specific exhibition? Uh, well, I'm trying to find what exhibition was put on here at a specific date. Oh, okay. Then you can look at the museum's website. Sure enough, the website leads me to exactly what I'm looking for. I entered the date when Clara visited and read the title of the main exhibition that was on at the time. Paul Clay. Melody and Rhythm. I sit down on a bench outside the museum and read through the information about the exhibition. The description explains that on top of being a painter, Paul Clay was an accomplished violinist and he was inspired by music all his life. There are also images of some of the artworks that were displayed. I notice one called Fast, where the connection between painting and music is literal. Clay has drawn horizontal lines that resemble a staff, with little boats sailing on them. There are anchors coming out of the boats at different heights, and the anchors look like musical notes on the lines. I keep scrolling through the images until another one catches my eye. It's called a twittering machine, and it features several birds perched at different levels. The birds are linked together by lines that might represent a mechanism, but I focus on the birds at different heights and the anchors of the boats that resemble musical notes. Then I remember the sentence formed by the titles of Ursula Bloom's last paintings. While I lived, I was silent. Now that I'm dead, I sing sweetly. What if Ursula is still singing? What if those paintings are her melody?